This is Theology Gals, Episode 5, The Shack and Christian Discernment. This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to the School of Biblical Hermeneutics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shiner's Lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening, and welcome to Conversations from the Port. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Ten podcasts, one network. Check them out. BibleThumpingWingnut.com. Good evening and welcome to Theology Gals. I am Colleen Sharp, one of the co-hosts, and I actually have a special um, co-host fill-in for us, and we'll get to her in a minute. I do want to remind you that we're on the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network that has a lot of great podcasts. Um, It would take me too long to mention all of them because there are so many now, but I I do want to recommend Semper Reformanda. They've had some especially good episodes recently with a guest on that I um, respect. So check those out. And and they're on the issue of Lordship Salvation. And, of course, Bible Thumping Wingnut. And they do a lot of apologetics and other things. And they've got Matt Slick on with Slick Answers. So definitely check them out. Well, my co-host is um, very busy right now. So have another one of the admins from our Facebook group on with us tonight. Her name is Ashley also, Ashley Bacon. Um, so Ashley, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself since some of our listeners might not know you. Oh, hello. I am Ashley Bacon. So we're just switching Ashley Classics, Ashley Bacon tonight. Right. Ho- hope that's okay. Yes, I hope that's okay. I am married and have three little ones. I um, like theology, of course, and have been very encouraged by the group and by Colleen and Ashley's podcast so far. And I also like fitness and working out a bit and board games, tabletop games. Those are some of my hobbies. Well, I'm with you on the board games, not so much on the working out. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, a- <laughs> I don't know if God just made me naturally thin, so I didn't have to. <laughs> yeah, it's I kind know. of something that me and my husband do together. It's like our oh, one of our things. I, I think I think it's great. I just it's not. So, I mean, I do like walking, but that's about the extent of it. Um, <laughs> so, so Ashley, can you tell us a little bit about when you became a Christian? Yes. So I did not grow up in a Christian home and through a friend at school, uh, middle school, high school, she actually introduced Christianity to me. And when I was 15, I became a Christian and this friend uh, attended a free will Baptist church. So there I found myself. And throughout the course of, um, you know, several years, I then found myself in a 
Reformed Presbyterian Church. Um, and, okay, so how? Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of how you went from Free Will Baptist to the Reformed <laughs> Presbyterian? Because that, that's a pretty big jump. Yes, um, and I want to say this well. Um, reading, <laughs> reading, listening, asking questions. Um, trying. I love to research. I love to read. Um, and a lot of things from when I first became a Christian were told to me, and I didn't question much. I didn't uh, look into things for myself. And when I started to do that, and when the Lord uh, surrounded us by some um, some great people. Our pastor at uh, our church was very accessible and we would come to his house and ask him questions and work through things with him. And we had a college group where we would sit and talk about the doctrines of grace and different um, concepts till this is pre pre kids till early hours of the morning <laughs> and, and, you know, testing it next to scripture. And I saw that this is logical. It wasn't much of an emotional thing. It was a, huh, this is what scripture says. Well, there I find myself. So Right. Uh, one thing Ashley and I have talked about is there was kind of in our in our path to reform theology, there were a couple things that were harder to accept or, mm-hmm. you know, made us stop for a second. Was there anything like that for you? I remember one time uh, in high school asking my pastor, a pastor's wife at the Free Will Baptist Church because someone there was a, uh, went to our Friel Baptist Church, but was a four-point Calvinist. And I remember asking her, I said, what, what does that mean? And she's like, you don't even need to worry about it. That means that uh, they hold to this thing that is really different. It's all just crazy and over our heads. We don't really need to worry <laughs> about it. And I, said, and I said, oh, okay. And then come to find out the, the, the four points that I guess this person held to, the last was the election and I remember. Oh, really? Yes. And I remember having a uh, a bit of an emotional battle with that one. That's that is interesting. I'm not sure I've heard that four points except for that. Yeah, so that's definitely. Because you would um, think it would be maybe limited atonement. That's you usually. Know, yeah. <laughs> I, I run into them all the time. Um, that would be an interesting kind of system to investigate <laughs> to see how exactly yes. you leave that out. That's. Because we do run into, you know, there are the people, and we've had them since the Reformation, who believe in the four, basically believe in the four points or what they represent, Mm -hmm. um, except for particular redemption. Mm -hmm. Because um, there are some verses that are harder to deal with on that, you know, Christ dying for the whole world. Yes. Yes, Um, and and I've gotten so stuck saying limited atonement, but I do like that phrasing. Right. Well, yeah, I I understand. I just naturally go to particular redemption. But, um, well, I'm glad that Ashley joined us tonight. We were kind of a few days late from the premiere of the movie Shack, and we've had several conversations in our Facebook group. I wrote an article that a lot which told me it wasn't my article was so great it said people are really trying to figure out the shack where Mm -hmm. do I fit as a Christian there's been controversy it's actually marketed to Christians in a lot of um, instances in fact I want to say probably about three years ago the mom of my one of my son's friends called and said, asked if my son would like to go to their youth group Bible study. They were going to be going through the shack 
And I had to say, yeah, that's not theologically sound. <laughs> no, my son will not be yeah. being part of that. Not that he would anyways, because it's an ultra dispensational church, but, you know, and I had to kind of talk to him. And when it first came out, uh, a guy at my husband's work came to him and said, hey, I'd like you to read this book and I'd like to know what you think about it. And so that was kind of the first time I heard about it. I have, I want to be mm-hmm. honest, I've not read it. I've read excerpts from it, um, mm-hmm. but I've read a lot about it. So, And I've probably read it. less about it, <laughs> but I've read a little <laughs> over half of the book when it first came out. I, I'm a big okay. reader and I thought, oh, this new, you know, Christian book, let me pick it up. Right. And it is. You have Eugene Peterson, who put together the message, Mm -hmm. endorsing it. You Mm -hmm. have people comparing it to Pilgrim's Progress and Narnia. And, you know, so it's we're going to talk about today kind of what is the shack for those who are not familiar with it. And we're going to talk about the problems with it theologically, even though it's a fiction book. It does promote Um, theological error. And I do think one of the purposes of the book is that theology. Oh, it is. You know, so you can't, you know, when somebody reads Pilgrim's Progress, it's a fiction book, but they are looking for, you know, theological comfort in some way or understanding in Mm -hmm. some way. Mm -hmm. And I've heard, I you know, I looked around online and social media and so many people who profess, profess Christ said, oh, this book was life changing for me. And that actually concerned me, too, because we have the word of God, which is supposed to be sufficient. Mm-hmm. And here are people saying, oh, I just now I understand, you know, and or I didn't need seminary. God. I have the shack now. Right. Well, even in the book, you know, and even the author of the book had gone to seminary and even in the book, um, you know, I've read where kind of says, oh, I didn't understand all this stuff in seminary. Now I'm getting it. Well, that Mm -hmm. um, obviously can go to a bad seminary and not learn specific theological ideas. But the problem with the shack is that it is based on theological error. So Mm -hmm. let me talk a little bit about what it is and then we'll kind of go from there. So it's basically there the story of this father who lost his daughter um, on a family vacation, and they didn't find her body, but they found evidence of her murder in a shack. That's kind of why it's called the shack. And then he is kind of summoned to the shack. He gets a mysterious letter in his mailbox, and there's snow, and there's no footprints. So there's kind of maybe this is from God, and it's signed Papa. And so he goes to the shack, which is the very place that represents his sorrow. And he has these interactions and conversations with manifestations of the Trinity. Um, There's something else I was going to say about the story, which will probably come back to me. And so that's the basics. Oh, I I know what I was going to say. You know, I had posted the article on our Facebook page and, and one of the gals or not in our group, I don't know who this gal was, but she said, but I thought it was a good story. And this is the thing. It, it is an endearing story. Mm-hmm. Ashley, you and I were talking about that. Yeah. It's emotionally gripping just the how it starts off with a, a broken father longing for justice for his daughter or questions. And, you know, he's faced with this, this trial and 
Yeah, it's in, I mean, that aspect is interesting. I mean, I feel like people today are drawn to things like that. Right. And it and it really does. It is kind of a crisis of faith because why would God allow this mm-hmm. um, sort of thing? And of course, I'm not, it's not built on a sovereign God, which is also problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, w- I do want to go over some of the heresies. Um, Michael Youssef has kind of he has a book called Burning Down the Shack. And he has identified, and I have link. I will put links to all of this. Um, I should mention that our resource sheet will now be on the website instead, just because there's people that aren't in the group who want access to it. And I think this makes it a lot easier. I will put a link to it within the podcast information. But it, it will actually, well, um, I don't, depending on how you listen to it, I, I will try to put a link so that if you use um, some sort of podcast catcher, that it'll be there. I didn't do that last week, but I will. And but, I love that you made that because I love that you're pointing people to, hey, read for yourself, listen. Yeah. You know, I love that. I, well, I looked at it and it was helpful. <laughs> and one of the things, and I'm not sure how much I remind you guys of this, is that our goal here is to actually encourage women in the study of theology. It's not mm-hmm. to listen to us and say, oh, yeah, I agree with everything I say or anything like that. We actually want – we know that some women are intimidated by the study of theology. We want to present it in a way that isn't intimidating, but also in a way that will encourage further study. So that's one reason why we do – the resource sheet. So we do encourage that. So we're going to go over some of the, um, some of the heresies that are in there. Ashley, do you want to start? Yes. So the first heresy depicted in the book is that God, the father was crucified with Jesus. Okay. That is (laughs) just red flag, red flag, red flag. Right. This is, I listened to the, interview with young the writer of the shack on matt slick and this is one of the things that he was kind of hammering on and i think that ultimately comes down to that he doesn't understand the trinity because he thinks jesus is god and so therefore the father had to be with jesus when he died on the cross and he doesn't he's not grasping orthodox theology on the trinity biblical theology on the trinity Mm -hmm. but that is that is definitely problematic yes Absolutely. And you uh, see that we, we know from scripture that what you, uh, we have a verse here to, to kind of take us back to scripture and why that is problematic. And I um, think it's Habakkuk one thirteen years because God's eyes are pure and cannot look upon sin. The Bible says that God would not look upon his own beloved son as he hung on the cross carrying our own sins. Yeah. And Matthew twenty seven forty five. Oh, you actually just did that one. <laughs> oh, is that the one I did? <laughs> I think you said, anyways. So, but yes, Jesus, Jesus alone carried our sins. If God had been on the cross, then he would have carried our sins. And that's not biblical. Or God, the father, I should have said that because Jesus is God. So yes, um, it's the whole hypostatic union thing there yeah. that we have to fully God, fully man. So um, another heresy, God is limited by his love and cannot practice justice. There's this kind of idea that God cannot do certain things because he's He's loving. And this even gets into this idea. I'm going to bring a couple of the other heresies into it. The fact that he doesn't believe in hell. Um, mm-hmm. Young doesn't. 
he believes that there are many paths to God and that every person will ultimately be saved. So, you know, we should just all go home. If everyone's going to be saved anyways, you know, mm-hmm. why, why walk in righteousness? Why trust in Christ? You know, why are those things a big deal? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, if that's, yeah, that changes everything. If that's the case. Right. And, and he's ignoring scripture, like Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father, but by me when he's saying, you know, all paths eventually lead to God. It's very typical of the sort of theology we find in our culture today. Yes, very universalism. It's, you know, God is good, and so everybody that's good goes to heaven. I mean, and of course, he extends it to bad people too, but... Yeah, one of the quotes in the book is, um, I think it's actually the character portrayed as Jesus in the book says, I am the best way. And, you know... Look what we just said there from the book of John. I am the way. Right. That's that's completely contrary to what John said. And that's not a light thing. That's like a salvific issue there. That's that's a big deal. Right. That is that is the very nature of the gospel. I mean, that is heretical right there to say that, you know, if you're a Mormon, you're still gonna get to God the Father. If you're a Jehovah's Witness, you'll still make it to the real God. If you're Muslim, you're still going to make it to the real God. So, you know, we don't even have to worry. We don't have to share the gospel anymore. None of it. Yeah, that's just, that's big, big no-no right there. One thing that somebody that I know said is that all of the, the doctrine that a lot of us Christians would like to get rid of is the doctrine of hell. Like, if we're honest, you know, we don't want to think about our friends and family who don't know Christ going to hell. But you can't get away from the text. You can't get away what's from what scripture says. You can't just invent God the way that you hope he is, which I think William Young does. Yes. What, what, what feels easier to digest almost, and we don't have to wrestle with, with truth. It just feels easier that there's not a hell. So I'll go with that. Right. What he's doing. You know, let's just all love each other and not, not make a big deal. I mean, it's very similar to the mentality. We had a situation in our group where, you know, somebody, where homosexuality came up and somebody said, well, we shouldn't judge. We shouldn't yeah. judge the homosexuals. I know, I know a homosexual who just loves Jesus so much. Um, it's that same mentality. We just need to love everybody and not judge when th- that's not consistent with scripture. Yeah. And God is very clear on, on things and we need to submit ourselves to his word, not move his word or twist his word so that it submits to, to us. Right. Do you want to do another of the heresies? Yes. So on the cross, God forgave all of humanity, whether they repent or not. And some choose a relationship with him, but he forgives them all. It's just a good go for anyone regardless. Right. And that's, I mean, this all, it kind of fits together because that's exactly what we were talking about right here. Mm -hmm. That, you know, that he saved everybody. It's It's the same ideas that we're, that we're discussing here. His whole idea of the atonement his whole idea of the Trinity, all of it just comes together to really mark this very twisted idea of who God is. It's not consistent with scripture. Mm-hmm. And another quote from the book is uh, the character Papa tells, I think it's Mac at the shack, which is kind of cute, but <laughs> tells, <laughs> tells him that he, she does not expect anything from him. And, 
expecting no repentance, no holiness. I mean, it's, it's just so messy. I can't even try to piece together how that makes up an, an Orthodox Christianity whatsoever. Yeah, that, that just, it doesn't even take a, an exhaustive knowledge of Christian theology and scripture to know that that is not consistent with scripture. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's a big deal. It's not just that, oh, this is, you know, it's the emotional aspect of the story pulls us in and other stories and songs or whatever pulls us in. But we need to just put, hold it up against the lens of scripture, despite, you know, the emotional hold it may have. Yeah, that's that is a really good point, Ashley, about that. That's a really good point. We're going to move along because we have other things we want to talk about and just kind of go through a couple more heresies. But this fits into the one the ones that Ashley and I already said, and that was God will never judge people for their sins, Mm -hmm. which, again, if if that was true, then why did God put a lot of uh, verses in Scripture that are contrary to that? Um, second Timothy or Romans two sixteen. second Timothy, you know, the word of God repeatedly invites people to escape the judgment of God. It's God is a, is a just God that is through scripture. This is why we are called to trust in Christ. And so this is because God is just, and, and this is the same reason why some people, you know, do end up in hell. He is a just God, and we are guilty before him. Yes, absolutely. Do you want to do the next one, Ashley? Yes. Um, And we kind of, I feel like when we were kind of discussing, we kind of touched on these briefly, but I'll go just to kind of get it in list Mm -hmm. form. Jesus is walking with all people in their different journeys to God. It doesn't matter which way you get to him. Kind of the idea that God is on the top of the mountain, and there are many paths. You know, your path might be this, your path might be this, but we're all reaching the same God. and that's, I mean, that's yes. wrong. <laughs> that's just wrong. Again, you're, and you're right. It just, all, it really does all kind of fit together. The one, the next one was God submits to human wishes and choices. And that one literally made me sick that God submits to human wishes and choices. This is the God of the universe who has told us who he is in his word. And that, that just really bothered me. Yes, and I feel like the God of the shack is no is no God at all. <laughs> it's, right. it's no God at all. Ladies, this is not a portrayal of the Christian God. The author of the shack wants to claim it's a portrayal of the Christian God, but it is not a portrayal. This is not the God of, of the Bible. This is you don't not- want it to be the God of the Bible. This is a portrayal of a very weak and just it's just not not good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we have one more we're going to do. There's, there's more, but we, for time's sake, we decided to go through a few of them just to kind of make the point that these are things that are heretical that the author of the shack. And, and the other thing is from the interviews I've seen, these are things that he does believe he did write his own theology into the shack. Yes. I read that he wrote the this book, like it was self-published 2007 and he wrote it for his children. I don't know if they experienced a hard time in their own personal lives, but he wrote it for his children, maybe to kind of navigate something, this question with them. So these are his thoughts that are not, not hidden or secret in this book. I mean, they're out there. They're, they're blatant. Yes. Yeah, very much so. So do you want to, I think we have, 
we're kind of jumping around, but do you want to do number 10, Ashley? Yeah, sure. Uh, Jesus is walking with all people in their different journeys to God. Oh, I said this. It, it doesn't matter which way you get to him. We talked about oh, that. Yeah, yep. Okay, yeah. But we know that because well, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. He's not walking with the Mormon. He's not walking with the Muslim. He's not walking with the atheist. This is this is just heresy. I mean, there's. I mean, I would say that at many points, quite blasphemous against our holy God, mm-hmm. who has revealed Himself in the pages of Scripture. Yes. So, and it's not saying that God is not calling to Himself Muslims. God is not calling to himself Mormons, but but to walking alongside them in a relational type of wording and language is absolutely not true. Right. Because Mormons, for example, do not embrace the God of the Bible. They embrace the God of Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. So I will have all of the heresies listed on the research sheet, but we're going to jump into, should Christians see the movie? I mean, because I think this is really what this episode is about. And maybe you are somebody who already saw it. And but we're still going to talk about whether Christians should see it. Do you do you have any thoughts on this, Ashley? I think something I did want to say as as someone who read uh, half of the book is I don't want to. uh, I don't know. I don't want to make people upset if they did read the book or if they had an interest in seeing the movie because, or if, or if different theological things didn't jump out to them, like we are listing here. Um, I think that is important, is important to say, okay, I've read the book or I've interested in seeing the movie. Now let me take a step back and evaluate what, if I should go see the movie or what I gleaned or didn't gleaned, or if anything has kind of been off course after my reading the book. Um, I just don't want to make people feel bad if they enjoyed the book or, um, yeah, but we are calling for discernment. Absolutely. You know what? You're not hopeless, you know, and and we're not really out there saying if you enjoyed the book, you're just a, you're a non-Christian. We're not we're not doing that. Yeah, you and know, with, we're not saying yes. that at all. And with that being said, I would encourage nobody to read the book or watch the movie. I just think there's so many books, so little time, so many movies, so little time. Why waste Why waste your time on something that blatantly heretical? It's just not worth it. Not wise. One of the things I keep seeing over and over again is, and even in the interview with Matt Slick that I listened to earlier today, is he kept saying, it's a work of fiction. It's a work of fiction. It's a work of fiction. And I've heard that from people. It's just fiction. There's nothing wrong with us seeing the fact, the thing that I was thinking about, the fact that I can find so many Christians who said this book changed my life. It is pointing to understanding who God is. It may be fiction, but the whole point of the story is to understand who God is in suffering. I've seen around a lot that people want to compare it to Pilgrim's Progress. And it's not Pilgrim's <laughs> Progress. Ashley, no. you said something real good that you about that you had read last night about the whole allegory thing. Yes, and I would agree quickly, real quick, with uh, Tim Challey's I think that's how you say his name, that it's theological Mm -hmm. fiction. It's not solely fiction. There is like a theological agenda with this. I I mean, it is fiction, but there's an agenda with it. And how I would say it differs from Pilgrim's Progress is Pilgrim's Progress is allegory or Narnia is allegory. What, What might Christ be like if there really was a world like Narnia, if he chose to be incarnate, die again, um, 
And in Pilgrim's Progress, you see this story where there is obvious connections with, you know, burden that he's carrying on his back, whereas uh, the shack is meant to teach theology. And right there, it sets it apart in two totally different realms from Pilgrim's Progress or Narnia. I think I neglected to mention earlier is uh, God the Father is a black female. Jesus is basically a Middle Eastern man, so that's fairly accurate. And the Holy Spirit is an Asian female. And there's an article in the Huffington Post that says the reason why people don't like the shack is because they're racist. Well, let me just let you know, that has nothing to do with anything. We are not, I would be upset if they depicted God as an old white man. You know, this is still not who God is and is not an accurate representation. We do not know, you know, the father cannot be seen. We see that in scripture. And so that has nothing, nothing to do with it. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And the Pilgrim's Progress is different. Even Narnia is different, even with where you have the, the lion being sacrificed. And it's still a very different, different sort of story. And, you know, how it plays out. Yes. And these are like almost like alternate type of realities where the shack is, is kind of almost places you in the mindset of if God and the three persons of the Trinity were to come to me today, this is what they would say in my suffering. It's presented like that. Right. You know, one thing that I read, I think it was Tim Challey's, but I don't have it in front of me, but I thought it was such a really good point is it does point to scripture not being sufficient. Yes, we have the very word of God. Is that not sufficient? Do we really need to go to the place of our suffering and get something more than what we've already been given? Yeah. It's that special revelation thing, which I feel like is floating around in other, you know, pockets of, you know, evangelical Christianity. It's just, which is trying to diminish the holiness of God's word and it is wrong. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a good point right there too. There's no awe in this for who God is. One thing I'm going to talk about just only briefly. And Tim Challey's talked about this in his article, why he was not going to see the movie because he had wrestled with, do I go see the movie for the purpose of review? Because he does a lot of reviews and stuff. And I know that not everyone's going to agree with me on this point. Some people have taken issue with me on this point with the articles. I believe it's a second commandment violation, you know, to go and look at manifestations of the Trinity is, is a violation of second commandment. I know that not everyone has that view. It is the historic reformed view. It was a view of Calvin. It was a view in the early church even. And I, it's not, it's, it's the secondary, it's a very secondary issue. So I would not make judgments on people. if They've not come to that point of believing that at that point, I grew up with a father who converted from Judaism and he just, he taught me that those depictions of Christ were not okay, but that is a reason. And Somebody said to me, so what, you've never seen the Passion of the Christ? And I said, yep, I've never seen the Passion of the Christ, because I believe that that, too, is a Second Commandment violation. So another reason why Christians shouldn't see it is blasphemy. I mean, is this blasphemy? Would, is, are we going too far to call this blasphemy, the things that it's depicting of God? Well, I did the quick definition search of what 
exactly blasphemy means because to throw around, you know, the word that's blasphemy, um, that's, that's a big deal. And blasphemy means uh, to speak offensively or sacrilegiously about God or sacred things, which I would definitely say the shack does that and therefore is blasphemous, which would be, you know, kind of like a, let's bundle it up and just call it blasphemous as a reason not to, not to see it. Yeah. That, I'm glad you looked at that definition because that, that really does kind of bring some perspective to it that this is, this is blasphemy. We have a holy God who has loved us, who has died on the cross for us and who has given us his word, which is sufficient for everything we need for life and godliness. Um, sisters, you do not need the shack to understand something specific about God. Go and open scripture because he has already given us his word and revealed to us who he is. He's revealed to us everything about suffering. There's a lot in there already about suffering. You don't need the shack. Absolutely. Yeah. And heresy, which we already went over. Mm-hmm. Which we'll throw the little definition in there too, just to kind of hold it up next to blasphemy. Cause I know that I used to kind of get the two confused. Heresy is a belief or opinion contrary to uh, Orthodox Christian doctrine. So it, it goes beyond just saying something offensively. It is a belief or opinion that is in direct contrast to the Bible. Right. I think it would be in contrary. There's things within the shack that are contrary to the historic Christian creeds, like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, mm-hmm. which have continued throughout church history to kind of be a basis for the foundational aspects of the Christian faith. The other thing is, and I've, I've read this from several people where they said it does not point to scripture. Scripture gives us everything we need for life and godliness. And this does not say, Hey Mac, go, you know, the, the lead character, Mac, go and read scripture. What I've already revealed to you about who I am about suffering Yes, it points to special revelation. So I went to Mac went to seminary, but then he had this experience in the shack. Now he has this special revelation from God, so he is better off because of that as opposed to God's word. Right. And I know some people will probably say, I believe that God talks to us. And I would I would encourage I would encourage studying that issue. I'm gonna put a link on the resource sheet regarding regarding that. Um, I won't get into that a lot right now, but has God, you know, is God still giving us special revelation or has he given us everything? If he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness, then we do not need special revelation. But ultimately the problem with this, you know, I'm going to read this quote from Albert Muller, and then we're going to kind of talk about discernment, but I thought these quotes just really summarize so well the issue here. Albert Muller has written a book an article about and what the shack has kind of shown us about discernment in American Christianity. And he says, all this reveals is a failure of evangelical discernment. It is hard not to conclude that theological discernment is now a lost art among American evangelicals. And this loss can only lead to theological catastrophe. And then he also says the shack is a wake up call for evangelical Christianity, an assessment like that offered by 
well, he was talking about something else there, but the popularity of this book among evangelicals can only be explained by a lack of basic theological knowledge among us, a failure even to understand the gospel of Christ. The tragedy that evangelicals have lost the art of biblical discernment must be traced to a disastrous loss of biblical knowledge. Discernment cannot survive without doctrine. I love that last that last line because That's how are we, how can we be discerning? What do you think, Ashley? How I mean, how are we discerning? What does discernment mean? Called to it in scripture. Yes, we are. We are called to look at things carefully to discern to I mean, just said the word in the definition there to be, to almost train our minds. in. I think we kind of mentioned a little bit before holding things up to scripture, up to, up to what God has revealed about himself, about what his word says and that we can stand on above emotions, above works of fiction. Um, we are called to, to test those things. Yeah. And we talked about, lining things up with scripture. And that's exactly what the Bereans did. Mm-hmm. Check to make sure that the things were consistent with scripture. I actually put up a graphic in the theology gals, um, Facebook page today, which I think might fit right into this. So I'm, um, pulling it up right now. One of my favorite church historians, DG Hart. He says, we should understand that the subjective depends on the objective Right emotions depend on and derive from sound doctrine. So you could have an emotional, you can go watch the shack and cry and have an emotional experience, but it's not found on sound doctrine. So even our emotions that may come with being, being a Christian need to be based on sound doctrine. Mm-hmm. And I like the, you mentioned the Bereans and, they are mentioned in Acts seventeen eleven, and they, it says of them that they received the word with all eagerness, examined the scriptures daily to see if the things they heard were so. And I want to be like that. We should be like that. That's how we. That's how we should be described. Yeah, whether it's our own pastor or maybe you know maybe a teacher that we love reading. That mm-hmm. that doesn't change. We need to be making sure that the things that we read, the things that we hear, the things that we believe are consistent with scripture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we're talking about the knowledge of God. If you don't mind, I have, I've been reading uh, the institutes by John Kelvin and there's something I read here about um, knowing God. And he says, we must be persuaded not only that as he once formed the world, so he sustains it by his boundless power, governs it by his wisdom, preserves it by his goodness, in particular rules the human race with justice and judgment, bears with them in mercy, shields them by his protection, but also that not a particle of light or wisdom or justice or power or rectitude or genuine truth will be anywhere found which, is not, which does not flow from him and of which he is not the cause." And that's where we find the, the word. He, all the knowledge we need flows from him. And that is found in his word. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? It seems like some people who lived hundreds of years ago, they, they foresaw some of the things that we'd be going through right now. Yes. Always amazes me. Like nothing new I, under the sun. He was, who yeah. knows what the shack of that day might've been. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a point, and I, I may have quoted this before, but 
um, on the white horse and Michael Horton always quotes Robert Godfrey, who says something about, you know, we keep trying to reinvent the wheel, <laughs> um, but it's never round. And, th- and that really is, that really is the truth. This is, there's nothing new under the sun, like Ashley said. And let's just real quick, I wanted to define what discernment is and it's the ability to judge well. Um, and I have from the Bible dictionary, it may simply mean observe, express, expressing close and distinct acquaintances with a critical knowledge of things. But where is our standard for discernment as Christian women? We have one standard and that is the word of God. Mm-hmm. For what is for what is truth? So, Ashley, are there any reason? What do you think? Do you do you think? I mean, obviously, we don't think that people should see it. But are there any other reasons why? You know, if somebody came to you and said, "You know, I'm thinking about seeing the shack," what would you tell them? I something I always tell myself and me and my husband talk about is: Is it wise? So maybe for you, if you don't hold to the second commandment violation, maybe you've already read the book and you thought it was interesting and you have a gift card to go to the movies, whatever. Is it wise? Is it, is it a wise pursuit? Is it a wise, um, is it wise? That's, that's what I would ask myself or tell somebody who said, I want to see the shack. I'd say, is it wise? And I don't think, standing up to all the arguments that we have made, one could clearly say yes. Right. Especially, and my concern would be for someone to see the shack that they would kind of read into the ideas of God that the shack promotes into their own ideas about God. I think it would be virtually impossible to not do that. Yeah. And even like in your subconscious, you could say, oh, I, I believe the gospel. I I know the gospel and you watch this and who knows what seeps in or tries to lie to you later or twist things from God's word later. It's just not, it's just not something we should, I don't know, toy with when it is in such, such an important, I don't know, concepts. Right. Because even though this is fiction, it promotes, it promotes theological ideas, theology being the study of God. It promotes, that are not accurate and also say as Christians do we want to be promoting things that do not act that claim to to portray the God of the Bible but do not accurately portray him we should be disgusted by it because this is our this is our Savior and Lord that we're talking about mm-hmm. to die for our sins this is our Savior who who was on the cross and took every single one of our sins upon him. And when you, when you look at it in that light and the, the magnificence and holiness of who God is, who the Godhead is to, to diminish it to a movie and the portrayal that it is and the story that it is told the emotional, I don't know, pursuit to try to grip you in. I mean, it is, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's, it's, it is. What would you say to somebody if a friend came well, to you? I think that I would point people to scripture because, you know, you might have somebody out there who's been through a season of suffering and, and they're Mm -hmm. just really trying to grasp why they have to suffer and why this had to happen to them. And so they're actually looking for it in the shack when we have been given, we've been given the very word of God. And I almost wonder with the lack of discernment today is if that's sometimes the last place we're going. 
You know, I, I did a, um, probably about six months ago, I did kind of a study on suffering and verses in scripture. And, you know, when I put it all together, I was shocked at how much there was in there about it. And I think that's really kind of the foundation of what this is about. It's kind of about suffering and for somebody who's suffering to find comfort. But there is so much in scripture. And any any of you out there that that are going through a time, you know, a season of suffering. And I I will actually also put a link in the resource sheet for this on my study of suffering in case you're somebody out there who is suffering and you're saying, but I just, I feel helpless. I feel hopeless. And, you know, whether you're somebody who went and saw the shack and find some, found some hope in it or not, I will make, you know, release that God has given us everything. I, I guarantee you he's, we don't, we don't need this. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to downplay the, I've been t- I kind of been talking about emotions in a negative form. I don't want to downplay emotions or like you said, someone who is in a tough time, but there's more comfort and more even emotional help to be found in the words of scripture than there is in, in the movie, the shack. And it is. And remember that the, the words in the shack are words of a man. Mm-hmm. The words in scripture are the words of God. Yes, you know, the very God that we that we trust in. And, you know, Albert Muller, I think I oh, I think I read this one earlier, but I think it's so important when he says that it's a wake up call for evangelical Christianity. There's the fact that so many Christians are seeing it and not seeing a problem with it does point to a lack of discernment. And I do want to encourage any of you that are listening to this to know God's word. You know, we cannot be discerning without doctrine, without understanding God's word, without theology, the knowledge of God. Absolutely, because we have no. When we talk about holding up something to the lens of Scripture, if you don't know Scripture, you don't have anything to hold it up to, and you think, you know, all right, it sounds fine, and you just go with it. We don't want to go be tossed by the wind to and fro. We want to be grounded in God and His Word and what He reveals about Himself to us. And you just said um, something really important is that we need to be grounded in God's word right there. I think that's what this is all about. And please feel free. You know, if you have any questions, you're not really sure about, you know, where can I start to really understand God? Please, please feel free to write to us at theologygals at gmail.com. We will try to help you in any way that we can. Or join the Facebook group where you can ask questions there and... Right. And I will put a link to the Facebook group too, um, on the Bible Thumping Wingnut Theology Gals page. Yes. In case you you know, for women who want to join. We've we've been growing a little bit lately, haven't we, Ashley? Yeah, it's fun. It's I love seeing people's questions and dialogue and I th- I think it's just a great little uh corner of the internet. It's fun. One thing I love is that we have women who are brand new to theology to women who we, you know, we've got a couple older, not old, but older than the bulk of our women who've been studying theology for years. And I, I love seeing those interactions. Yes. Like I love seeing a new, like a, a, someone who's new to Christianity or even reformed theology post something. And then we, I see someone who I know, I'm like, Oh yes, she's responding. What she'll say is great. I'm going to keep scrolling. <laughs> right. We have, yes. we have some women in there. Yes. Well, um, 
Thank so, you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Well, I appreciate you coming on and, you know, Ashley may be back as a fill-in. Right now, just so that, you know, people know, Ashley Glassick is currently working on her master's. So sometimes she's just, you know, she's slowly getting to the end of it, but there are times where she just needs to focus on that. And we've got Ashley right here as a fill-in. And so we're really thankful for that. So I know that some people are, they, they probably listened to the whole episode to find out my favorite novel. Not really. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> I'm excited the to hear. Question, the question of the week. And, and for those of you who are thinking, well, Ashley's not on now. I'm not going to know her favorite novel. I actually made sure to that I can tell that to you today. So, you know, last week, Ashley had asked my favorite novel and, and her favorite novel. Hers is the novel 1984. I can't really say much more because I haven't read it. And I wish she was, if she'd been here, she could tell you more. That's a classic. I'm sure many people have, have heard of it. Right. At least. And, uh, I probably should have read it, but haven't. And, <laughs> you know, last week I talked about one of my favorite feel good movies and it's really one of my favorite novels still. I love, I love reading. There's a lot of books I love, but I still love um, Jane Austen's Emma. That is still, that is so still my funny. favorite. <laughs> it is so funny you said that because I just decided to stop reading that book like last week. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't. Well, I do love it. So. <laughs> maybe, maybe because you love it, it'll get better. Cause I only got like a little bit in and I thought, I don't know. I don't I, know. Yeah, I I just love that character. And, and, you know, there are a lot of other books I like, I think, because, you know, that goes back for me, like, over 20 years ago, when I first was introduced to the book. And mm-hmm. I just loved, loved that character. character. And I thought, and, you know, the name Emma is kind of popular now. But when I was having my kids, my first couple of kids, it was not. So I thought, oh, I'm gonna name my kid Emma, then it became popular again. Because I love that <laughs> book. And I had boys. No, Emma right. <laughs> I like Jane Eyre. That would that would be a one of those. Jane Eyre, I'd love too. Okay, love I, I'm with you on that. All right. <laughs> and so I. So, what's your favorite? Oh, I I I mean, I literally have a a list, but I'll say one of them. I mentioned Jane Eyre. Um, I really liked. I'm thinking my favorite book for me is a book that after I read it, I was just blown away. Um, I felt like that kind of about Uncle Tom's Cabin. And yeah, I love that book. That was very good. I really enjoyed that book too. And a newer book called uh, The Book Thief. I don't know. It's kind of like a a young adult novel. It is about uh, a young girl during World War II. It kind of talks about um, her through the perspective of a young girl in World War II. And I I thought it was really interesting. Well, my favorite really is historical fiction. So I'm going to check that out. I love historical fiction. Um, you know, a friend of mine said, you, you either like the Bronte sisters or you like, or you like Jane Austen, one yes. of the two. Yes. Although my sister and I both said, you know, I called my sister when my friend said this and she goes, no, I like both. And I said, me too. <laughs> but you might fall into that. I think I do. I think I would go with the Bronte sisters. I think I would. Right. Cause that would, for those who don't know, that would be Jane Eyre, which Ashley mentioned earlier. Yes. Yes. I, I don't know. I just like them all. I do like those books. Like my go-tos are are classic works. I love Little Women. I love I love those type of books. I do. Yeah, my my mother-in-law actually gave me kind of the you know, the Little Women and there I guess there were 
you know, some people don't know. I think it's jo- Joe's Boys or some other books in the yes, series. Yeah, yeah. She had some really old copy copies of them. I think she got from her own mom. So yeah, I love those too. Nice. I don't read a lot of new newer novels, and I probably should expand myself. I know that's one of my like life mottos. So many books, so little time. I just there's just not enough hours in the day to read all the books I want to. Well, especially when you're raising children, right? Yes. I have the thing now where I go to bed and I open the book and then I just fall asleep two two minutes later. So that's my reading lately. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, I realized when my kids were younger, of course, my kids are older now, but when they were younger, I realized kind of went through a season of not reading a lot, kind of like what you described, kind of at the end of the day, finally I get to open my book and then I'm asleep in two pages. Yeah, that's about where I'm at. So I know it is a season. So I have a list for when that season is done, all the books I'm going to read. You know, I know when I was, when my kids were young, it drove me crazy when people said this, now I get it. When, you know, it goes by so fast it it just really does enjoy every moment because my kids are now 14, 16, 18, 20, and they have like a few months that five months where they're two year, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like that. And it's just, yeah, it's just amazing when you're in it. It doesn't feel like it's going by quickly. Oh, it's like the, then, the days are long, the days are long, but the years are short. I've heard that. And my days right. feel long sometimes. <laughs> Rather yeah. long. And I'm just worrying about things. I'm not, you know, not worrying, but like, I'm hoping my son doesn't wet his bed tonight and I got to get breakfast for the baby and clean his bibs. It's just my life. My brain just goes a hundred miles an hour every day. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. Cause your, your kid, how old are your kids Ashley now? Uh, my son will be, my youngest son will be one uh, next week. And then I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. So you're kind of on that two-year plan. Like, like we, yes. Are. And yeah. it wasn't, and it really, I mean, we kind of planned it like that. Our, our, our second son, our third child we adopted and it just worked out so perfectly that even with adopting him, they still, cause you never know with adoption and it worked out where they're still two years apart. So we thought that that was pretty nice. We're like, yeah, cool. I think, I think two years apart is really, is really good. My, my sister and I are three years apart. Okay. I always felt like it was almost too much, you know, growing up, we just, we we're just kind of a little bit too much apart. And then, you know, we, as we got older, we did, become good friends for a time. We're kind of in different places spiritually right now, but mm-hmm. and I, I really wanted my kids close together. My, my first year about 21 months apart and then my second two, 23 months apart. But still, and are they you know, pretty close? Are they pretty close? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting with my kids. Um, my second son has cerebral palsy. Some of you may not know that out there. And all of my kids say that my second son, Benjamin, is their favorite, their best <laughs> friend, you know, and my boys are very close. My two youngest, you know, they're 14 and 16 right now. They, it, it's kind of a love-hate relationship. Sometimes they're best friends, and then sometimes I'm having to break up some argument between them. <laughs> uh, my kids didn't really fight except for my youngest two. And I think that's partly because my boys are very protective of my second son, you know, with his, he not only has cerebral palsy, but he has a lot of learning disabilities. So he's, he's 18 right now, but he's not really 18 mentally. So, you know, we're, 
I, I'm I'm grateful. They're very, very, very close. My oldest son, who's 20, came in and said to me one day, you know what, my little brother, talking about my 14-year-old, is a pretty cool kid. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for moments, moments like that. And they, they were close growing up, too. I think that all of my boys are somewhat protective of my of my second son, but I do think that that kind of changed things a little bit, you know, having a special needs kids, even yeah. kind of the birth order. Yeah. And I know moms just love their kids being close. Like my mother-in-law, my, my husband has an older brother and my mother-in-law just loves when her sons are talking or getting together. She just, she loves to see her kids connect. And I feel like that too, even with like, my three and five year old, I'm like, oh, they're playing so nicely. Like, I'm just going to keep the door ajar and walk away. This is good. <laughs> yeah. And your kids are younger. So you're probably at the place where they actually are starting to play together more. Yes. It's great. It's actually fun because they're like in their bedroom just playing. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. <laughs> right. You know, I, I always say my first kid was hard because it was my first kid. My second kid was hard because I worried about my first kid how he was going to do because <laughs> yeah. I just spent you know, almost two years with my first kid nonstop, yeah. just as one kid and I'm bringing someone else in and I worried about him. And then my third child, I always say was the easiest because my older two went and played, you know, if I needed to nurse or, mm-hmm. you know, different yeah. things like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do see that. I do see that. I do. So let me ask you a question. Cause we, I mean, we're talking about babies and kids. So this could go forever. <laughs> I'm talking about my kids. So um, if it's okay, I can ask, you know, maybe it could be a thing where whoever is a guest on here could ask you and Ashley the question for the following Yes, week. I was actually going to ask you. I think you need to ask the question for next week, Ashley. And you'll have to give me your answer so next week I can tell people what Ashley Bacon's answer was. <laughs> okay, great. So something that I want to know, I know that you and your family um, have traveled around quite a bit and I... I'm curious as to what is your favorite place you've ever visited and why? And I want to know for Ashley classic too, of course. I'm going to have to think, I'm going to have to think about that. You know, like a year and a half ago, two years ago, I would have answered it differently. But for those who don't know, not only does my husband work for the biggest airline in the country or the best airline in the country, I don't know. It kind of goes back and forth. The biggest goes back and forth between two, but we have a motor home and, traveled through 22 states last year. We took a month, you know, a little over a month and did that with our family. So I'm going to have to think about that one, Ashley. I'm excited to hear because I might, I want to go there. <laughs> it's that great. You've been a <laughs> lot of places. Go there too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, that's going to be really, 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 really difficult for me. I have to really think. Yeah. I'm going to have a week. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm going to have to really think about that because I, I just enjoy traveling so much and have so much fun. I, you know, I could live traveling in my motorhome across the country. I really, really could. I just love it so much. I'm so grateful to have a husband. I love traveling. Um, I grew up traveling with my parents and, and now my, I'm thankful for a husband who loves traveling too, but I, it's going to be hard to narrow down a favorite. So I got to think about that. I wait, something just came to mind. I think there is something. <laughs> All right. Don't tell us yet. Don't tell us. No, I won't. I'm not going to tell you. And you're going to have to listen to next week's episode to know. Yes, I am excited to do so. Well, um, before we go, I wanted to remind you, I had said last week, you know, if you're a follower of us, 
you can go and kind of follow it. You can join and follow us on the Bible Thumping Wingnut um, webpage, BibleThumpingWingnut.com. And you can get notifications anytime we release a podcast or we, you know, publish a blog post. I do, I did write, you know, the blog post that I wrote, it's on the Bible Living Wingnut. I will link it in the episode details. It's, it's really just a really short blog post about the shack. And my main point was there's a bunch of resources because Tim Challies, Albert Moeller, all kinds of very respected guys out there that we respect have written quite a bit on it already. I mean, really detailed theologically on the issues Mm -hmm. with it. So please check that out. I will put it on our Facebook page, on Twitter, on Instagram. Oh, I did learn that I'm not an Instagram person. So Ashley Glassick told me I was doing Instagram wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I love Instagram. I don't do Instagram, but she's been kind of out. And so I was doing it. She goes, yeah, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> so well, that's why you have her, right? That's why you have right. the, the, the team of us. Yes. Having the different ages comes in. Well. <laughs> I kind of feel like Twitter is for the older people. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Is Twitter like I, I connect with my older friends on Twitter? That's funny. I don't have Twitter. I'm not a tweeter. There you go. <laughs> I have Instagram. I like Instagram. Yeah, like my friends in their 40s, they like Twitter. (laughs) So, and everyone, no, I was going to say everyone likes Facebook, but not true. I actually have people on Twitter who are like, I'm not, I just don't go on my Facebook. So, okay, well, thank you for joining us so much. Um, We appreciate it. Please join our Facebook group, which is Theology Gals. Ladies Theology Discussion Encouragement. We're Theology Gals on Instagram. We're Theology Gals on Twitter. We're Theology Gals at gmail.com if you'd like to message us. And I want to mention our bumper music, which is Castle Pines, which is a band from Ashley Glassick in my hometown, Corona, California. Thank you for joining us. I hope that you will follow us on social media and join us next week. And also feel free to send us episodes, episode ideas. We do have a theology series coming up. I know that we had said that this week was going to be assurance. Um, We will do assurance. We just had gotten some requests to do the shack. So we had to kind of change things around, but we'll do a, a theology episode. We'll be discussing NCT, which is New Covenant Theology, Dispensationalism, Covenant Theology. We will also be discussing Catholic and Orthodox. We get a lot of questions about, you know, how these are dif- differ or are they bad? And so we're going to definitely address all of those. And very excited because we're going to have a guest on for each week. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy the guests that we have who've agreed to be on the show. So have a good week. Thank you. Bye.